Hey everybody, what's going on? It's the Fanalytic and Scouting Podcast. Um, as always, I've got uh, Will with me. Oh, hello everyone. So we haven't been around for a little bit, but uh, that's all right. It's been a real busy summer for both of us and also the hockey world. So this podcast uh, episode is probably going to be centric of around uh, talking about the hits and misses of the draft, uh, basically just us talking about that. And then we'll also talk about some of the transactions that's happened um, since the draft, uh, including free agency, um, some big trades, um, and even like the... Um, Front front office changes, etc. So basically, just a huge hockey world update. <laughs> yes, a state of the union, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Going exactly. in, going so, into training camp. Mm-hmm. So we'll just hop right into it. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about the the entry draft first. So, um, Will, what are your thoughts on? I guess the first round. Any any prominent hits that you'd like to talk about first before we get you know rolling? Well, I mean things. The first round was kind of weird. I mean, I if you haven't seen it on my YouTube channel, I live streamed the whole thing. Uh, and and my the first night, I mean, the, the first 10, 15 picks were so completely different from what I was kind of expecting that, you know, it kind of set a weird mood in me that, that I it kind of went very, very differently from what I was expecting. But it went very much like how the NHL might have done things. Guys like uh, any kind of defense defensive defensemen seemed to be a really, really hot commodity. And that was common with centers last year. So teams were going really off the consensus board to, to land something that they felt was, I guess, rarer to land in the given draft. So last year there weren't a ton of centers available with top five talent, but teams took centers in that top five, top 10, just to get a center. Uh, and they, it felt like the same kind of thing happened with, with defensemen, especially this year and some really, really good players, especially as always good wingers fell pretty far in this draft. So that was the general feel. Um, it's funny the the general top end of the draft in terms of centers with high-end potential or sorry forwards I guess I should say kind of went how I kind of expected it you know Kirby Doc going to three was probably the big surprise to most people I personally am not that surprised though based on what I've seen of him you know he had one really really bad stretch this year and and it wasn't great but at the same time you know, if he had played in the under 18, I think he probably would have looked a lot more like a top five pick. You know, when you look at who went in this top five, uh, top, I would say top five with Alex Turcotte in there, you know, he can keep up with a guy like Alex Turcotte. I mean, Turcotte, I think, is a better two way guy. But in terms of offensive tools and, and just how easy he makes the game look, I mean, I really, really liked Kirby Doc, and I think that he has tremendous potential. So for Chicago to swing on that, I'm not surprised. Uh, it it might have made more sense for me to go with Turcotte. But I, I think any of those three guys in retrospect probably would have been a good pick. Doc is obviously, to me, the riskiest one of the three. But again, there is that flash of talent that's really, really special with him. So that, in the earliest parts of the draft, was the big surprise to me. Yeah, and I think one thing, too, to note that, uh, you know, you can say that if you're picking at three, you're not necessarily picking for for the first year or two. But um, I guess they have this luxury now that if they think that Doc is a very good long-term pick but also can jump in right away, that could that could have been a slight reason to grab him um, if, if, you know, he fits the long-term plan as well because it's just a plus that he's a big dude who real, I, I could really see him playing third-line center this year and having no problem. He definitely, like, 
again, it, at his best, I certainly would agree. I, I think when he's playing as well as he possibly can, he might be able to make that team. Uh, again, there was inconsistency with him this year. Uh, you know, he kind of came and went. He was injured a little bit. So I don't, I wouldn't, either decision I think would be an okay one. I, I wish you could take players like him and, and try him in the, in the AHL for a little bit and see how he fits in there. But a year going back to the WHL where he can, you know, lead the blades and, and, and really, you know, try to shred that league and be a dominant player go to the world juniors and, and sort of get that experience that way as a high level player. I think that's also a, a decent option, but I think the Chicago Blackhawks are in a good position where they can kind of try him one way or the other. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a tryout. Um, you know, but if after nine games, he's not looking quite right, then you can, you know, send him back and not be too concerned about it. I don't think. Exactly. And I, I think he, he's a big guy or a big, he's got a big proponent of winning. So I think in those nine games, he's going to truly know and be selfless about it too. Like if he goes through nine games and he's got, you know, five points and he's, he's doing real well on the ice and he's, he's being responsible and, and playing the game that he should as a third line guy for the, the year. I, I don't see him, um, you know, getting down on himself if, if things go the wrong way, I think, they're going to, the, the organization will be super transparent with him and I'm sure he would agree to, I, I don't sure. think he wants to be rushed. So, yeah. And I don't think he, I, yeah, I think anyone in this sort of first round that isn't named Jack Hughes or Capo Caco, I don't think anyone should really see it as a, as a bad thing if they do get sent back. I mean, most of these guys in this first round are, you know, headed to college and usually you don't see guys give up on a college commitment to play in the NHL. I don't think I've ever remembered a time where that happens in their first draft eligible year. So, uh, or for first year after being drafted. So we'll see. I, I, I've heard some people say that Cole Caulfield might, I doubt that happens. I can't imagine he doesn't go to Wisconsin. Um, but just looking around this first round, I think a few of these guys, you know, you can send them back, you know, even guy, I mean, there might be some European guys who might get a, a cup of coffee in the NHL this year so I've heard some mixed things about Moritz Sider maybe sticking around with the Red Wings I believe he would be AHL eligible um, so if they do want to just bring him right over I mean that might be an interesting choice just to see what he can do on North American ice because he's another one who in this I mean I was shocked when he went sixth overall to Detroit I mean I I get it I certainly understand the the reasoning behind the pick uh, and you can certainly be flexible with his development which is also an, an asset um, but he's one of the bigger wild cards, especially relative to where they, they drafted him. He's one of the biggest wild cards available in the, in the draft in the first round, at least. Absolutely. And I think most of the, the hockey scouting services had him, um, you know, as high as 10. And so no one really had him in the mid first 10 picks. So I think it was definitely interesting to see him go there. Um, I, I do see some reasons why, but I, I, I truly, and being a Wings fan, I, I'm trying to be unbiased here, but I, I see more reasons why he should have fell personally. I think six is, is um, a lofty choice to grab him at, but if they really see him being an, a minute eating guy who can play 24 minutes at the peak of his career, I think it's a fine pick, um, but I guess just even the sample size, he's coming from Germany. He had a pretty good season um, there, but it's you don't see a bunch of German guys going early, you know, and so it's there's definitely some risk, but um, I, I guess the Wings wanted to take it, so. Yeah, I, I think the benefit, what I, I think what the argument behind taking him is, I think he plays a, 
you know, I, I, it's a weird combination of both raw and, and, and mature. So, you know, he's a big, he's certainly very big and he's certainly, uh, you know, a very good skater for how big he is. You know, he's very mobile. Uh, you know, he, he, he often doesn't make poor decisions. It's just a question of, you know, how much is there? Um, you know, he played at the under 20 division one a and did do extremely well, but for a guy who's a first round prospect, which he certainly was, you would expect that for a guy playing against the competition that's in that tournament. And at the world championship, I mean, look, he, he played on the German national team and didn't look out of place at all. Uh, you know, so that that's fine. Um, it's just, gonna, again, it's going to be a question of, you know, I just, the, the reason I'm more skeptical on him is I just don't know what he's going to be. I don't know if there's enough offensive tools to be a real two-way force in the NHL, but I can see the package rounding itself out and him becoming a bit more of an offensively talented player. And me being me, I mean, I value guys who produce, especially, you know, defensemen who produce. That's kind of where the league is going. You know, a lot, I've, I've made a couple of videos about this before. The biggest change in the NHL in the last few years where all of this new, new offense is coming from, the biggest increase has been scoring from defensemen throughout almost every team's lineup. You know, guys are playing defensemen who are willing to get in offensively, willing to, you know, take shots themselves, willing to get involved uh, rather than playing a more conservative approach. And that kind of benefits offense altogether for both sides, which to me is a good thing. Um, so maybe Moritz Sider is maybe the pendulum swinging the other way when push comes to shove. You know, he's big, physical, can skate. You know, that's great. But when I look at who was available uh, at that pick, you know, I mean, the Detroit Red Wings with Dylan Larkin and someone like a Trevor Zegris would have just tickled me pink. Um, you know, Dylan Cousins was available, but I didn't really see the same thing out of Dylan Cousins that most people did. Uh, although to me, I had him ranked higher than Zegris at the end of the year. But I think in terms of who the Detroit Red Wings historically have drafted and looked at, Trevor Zegers would have looked awesome in a Red Wings jersey. But, you know, the Ducks got him at nine. I'm, I mean, looking at the summer showcase tape that some people have been posting and that I caught, he looks fantastic. And, and I'm definitely curious to see how Zegers does in his, in his year this year. Some people I spoke to with the national team during the year thought that he had more upside than a Cole Caulfield. And I look at him play and I go, yeah, you know what? I can see that argument. I, I, I had them ranked seven, eight back to back. Um, I think they're two sides of, the, of a similar coin. I don't think you can really say equivocally that Zegris is a better player than Caulfield. I think they both bring two different sets of skills that are both, to me, equally enticing. Um, but, you know, Cider, I think, could be a good, like you said, minutes-eating guy. You can put him out and rely on him. Um, it's just a question of what the value is there at that sixth overall pick. And the argument that I made in my recap for the Red Wings draft, you know, if you had to trade down, if you could have traded down to try to get Cider later and someone you had heard, heard if you had heard that some other team was going to draft him in between those picks and you would have missed him, then... To me, you may as well trade down and get someone like a Zegris and try to land your minutes-eating top four guy some other way. Uh, I, I mean, to me, I just think you swing on super high upside here. Cider, it's I, I see flashes of it. It's kind of there. He's certainly got a nice package of tools, but again, with who was available on the board, it's a it's a tough sell to me. Absolutely, and I think I think a good a good way to to sort of lay it all out there is almost every person that you would ask that has any knowledge of prospects would say that 
there's going to be at least a few guys that were drafted later that will heavily outproduce cider at, at this point. So when you say that, it makes the pick look um, slightly irresponsible. Um, but, you know, there's reasons to see why he went there. So I guess the only thing we can say is to wait and see if that is going to pan out because we'll even know in the next year, we'll know if it's starting to pan out or not. If he's, if he's lighting up the German league and has, you know, 20 assists in 30 games, like then it looks like he's on track. But if he, if he has another exact season that he did now, you, you have reason to be questioning it. Sure. I mean, yeah. And like you said, with offensive potential, I mean, again, production, especially with defensemen, it's not everything. I mean, on the, to me, looking at the defensemen in this year's draft, the total in the first round, at least the total polar opposite in terms of the cider package is a guy like Thomas Harley. Now Harley's not super small. He's got good. He's got a nice frame to him, uh, but his game is very aggressive, very offensive. Um, You know, the Dallas stars seem to like defensemen who play like that. So uh, guys, uh, guys in their system, like John Klingberg and Miro Haskinen, and you know, they had, they took a swing on Julius Honka and, and you know, that obviously didn't quite work out, but they take risks on these high octane, offensive, exciting defensemen. I mean, Thomas Harley, you know, Moritz Sider plays that mature, responsible defensive game, whereas Thomas Harley, I saw him make many mistakes uh, with his puck make with his puck moving decisions. But you know, his raw passing ability is great. Uh, his skating ability is great. You know, it's just a question of decision making and play at even strength. Where I kind of get a little concerned. I felt he was jumping too much into offensive situations and and sort of leaving his team out to dry and having odd man rushes come against him, and that kind of burned him on paper. Uh, but that's fixable to me. I think I think if you can kind of coach him to maybe rely on his tools, you know, he's great on a power play. He can quarterback a power play, which is where a lot of his production came from. Um, you know, so it's interesting to see how teams view these different types of players and, and where they see them going. I think Thomas Harley at 18, considering who was left on the board, you know, I'd say that whole group from 1 through 17 was a very interesting group. I mean, seeing guys like Cole Caulfield and Alex Newhook and Peyton Krebs go back to back to back at 15, 16, 17. If it were my universe, that certainly wouldn't uh, have been how it goes. I thought those three guys were going to be gone well before, uh, you know, well before they, they went. But, you know, once you got to 18 this year and passed, I mean, it, it turned into a complete blender. I, I had no idea who was going where and it just kind of all got thrown out Um Guys I had ranked really high started dropping. Guys who I had ranked low got drafted extremely high, even relative to the average rankings that I track. I mean, I'm looking at my list here. Nolan Foote, on average, was a mid-second round guy. Simon Holmstrom, mid to early second round. Um, You know, Braden Tracy was another guy who was sort of a mid-second round guy, but he had a great under 18. So it seems like teams were looking sort of... I don't even know. It's it's hard to to gauge because I looked at, you know, someone like Connor McMichael. I profiled him in a full-length video project, and I looked at Simon Holmstrom as much as I possibly could this year. And you could have told me, if you had told me that Simon Holmstrom was going two picks before Connor McMichael, I would have thought you were nuts. Uh, but clearly the Islanders see something in a player like Holmstrom, and certainly he did have a really good year the year prior to this one. Uh, He was hurt for this season, but he did have a pretty good under 18. So we'll see on a player like that. But teams were, it was, to me, based on all my data and all the work I put in, it was a complete, complete blender from about 18 to the mid-second round. It just was completely all over the place. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I would say 18 was right around where 
things got a little bit interesting. Um, but I, I think one thing you said, um, just decision making in general on a defensive end. I think it's very interesting to see that Philip Broberg went eight um, after all of the negative buzz about him and about all of the players who fell. Because you could consider Zegris, even Pod Colson, Baldy, um, Caulfield. A lot of these guys fell, and at, at eight you had you had a bunch of players that could have that had really high ceilings and honestly the floor was not all that low either they it seemed like a lot of these guys that went after broker were safe but also extremely high reward players and they they went with someone who's been known to be high risk high reward we'll see if that plays out but after watching i went to the world junior summer showcase in plymouth and i watched him for a couple of games and in addition a lot of these other guys and that pick is starting to even more be questionable in my mind due to his uh, purely irresponsible defensive play in multiple scenarios where it should not have been. Yeah, I I would agree. I think, you know, look, I, I think I have a more extreme take on Broberg where it's even more than like risk and reward, you know, high risk, high reward. I think his, the raw, his, you know, I might have misspoken in my recap video about Moritz Sider where I call him sort of raw. Uh, Broberg is raw in the truest sense of the way. I mean, there's there's so much talent. You know, his, his skating is so powerful. His frame combined with his skating is really promising. Um, you know, his offensive aggressiveness is really certainly at least very fun. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. Like just defensively, you know, in the Swedish Allsvenskan, it, it just, the two-way play wasn't there. Um, you know, he, he seems to be, when he is making the memes and popping up on the internet with all those gifts and stuff, he's kind of, that's that's him at his best and, and kind of against, I guess, smaller competition. And he certainly does play with a lot of power. I'm, if I'm Edmonton, really hoping that, uh, things turn around uh, or at least take a big step forward this year. And he does become at the very least, I would hope that he becomes a really premier offensive defenseman in, with, with his team this year. I don't know if that's going to happen. I mean, the Oilers, I don't know. I hate, I hate dumping on the Oilers. Uh, you know, I'm not, I, th- this pick was one that kind of almost leaked out before the draft, if I'm not mistaken. It kind of was known that they were really looking at Broberg when things got down to the wire. And I don't know, uh, that's another situation where if you can trade down to get that guy, that's fine. Um, and if you can't because you think and or know that he's going to be gone by the time, say, 10 or 11 or 12 um, comes around, then kind of you let someone else take that risk, add a few picks and end up with, say, Matt Boldy or a Cam York. Uh, if you really want a defenseman or uh, even a, even a Thomas Harley up at the 11 or 12 range would have surprised a lot of people, but you know, there's that Broberg profile. And I think Dallas, again, going back to Harley, you know, Dallas got a very similar type of package uh, with maybe a bit more skill in Thomas Harley and they got it 10 picks later uh, than Bro than, than the Edmonton Oilers got Broberg at. So we'll see. I mean, again, you're like, we've been saying, Teams seem to evaluate defensemen, uh, you know, and very differently, and and things can change very, very quickly. And and this year's draft was no exception. Yep. And I think a, a big surprise too was not where Victor Soderstrom was taken, but I guess the words that were spoken from the Coyotes organization about him. It was extremely surprising to hear that Cheka had him third on their board. 
after using Kako, if, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. That means that he, they literally ranked him as the third best player in this draft. And I'm sure they're very, very happy with him at 11. It's just, and you know what? He's a fine pick right there. It's just very surprising what they had said. It was very encouraging from what I heard from Chaka. I think, I think, I mean, I think if I recall correctly, Chaka also has a bit of a streak of being a bit cheeky. Yeah. And I think, I think that might have been him just saying the the hockey tidbit you know like what else is he gonna say right like oh yeah we had him at at you know seven so we were glad to get him at 11 i mean like maybe he could have said that but you know everyone knew that the top two was the top two Mm -hmm. and i think i think most people who know what's around uh would look at soderstrom at at three on a draft board and go are you sure like is that right you know, like I, th- I think almost anyone would look at that, whether they're in the business or out, and go, eh, I don't know about that. Right. So I think Chaka might have been like, hey, we got our guy, and yeah, guess what? He was our third-ranked guy. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Yeah. Um, maybe. Uh, but, I mean, if they had him at three, okay. I mean, I guess they're putting their money where their mouth is, and we'll see where he ends up. Absolutely, yeah. I also, um, I also really liked the Spencer Knight choice from Florida before they had signed Berberovsky. Um, I we definitely hit the nail on the head predicting that. Um, but 13 is always high for a goalie. Always. Even, even if you know they're going to become John Gibson or, or of the like, it's still a very ballsy pick when you've got, when you've got Cam York, Cole Caulfield, there's so many other players that you could have considered there and to take night there is definitely one of the ballsier choices of this draft. But, um, what do you think of that choice? Well, so I watched a lot of the national team this year. Um, I, okay. So Spencer Knight certainly has a very mature uh, game from what I saw. He, he, he doesn't have, you know, he, he doesn't have the same tendencies that I've seen a lot of young goaltenders have where, you know, they get caught out of position. They, they're kind of rolling around on the ice. They're flap, flopping a lot. Um, you know, um, you know, he's, they're, they're making all, you know, low danger chances are going in against them. You know, it's stuff that you kind of would like them to, to, to not do. Spencer Knight certainly plays a mature game. I, I, but again, I'm a guy who, if I'm looking at a goaltender in the first round, I want year over year track records of stopping a lot of pucks. You know, like that's a big indicator to me. When, I, when you look back at who are the premier goaltenders in the NHL, uh, I believe there's only one who, when they were drafted, were not on paper a really, really tremendously talented goaltender at their level. And I believe that's Braden Holtby. I, I could be wrong. Matt Murray is another one. Uh, you know, we'll see if he can really keep that 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 number one goaltender title in Pittsburgh forever. I, I think certainly winning two Stanley Cups uh, is a pretty great part of your resume. So I guess he's part of that group as well with Holtby where they kind of developed into something very special. Uh, but I look at Spencer Knight and I go, okay, yes, he's got a very mature approach to the game. Yes, his puck handling is quite good for a goaltender. Um, but, you know, I saw a few people profiling him online saying, look how good of a goaltender he is here. Look how athletic he is. Da, 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 da. And I'm looking and I'm going, okay, a lot of these highlights, he's kicking rebounds out into medium danger areas. You look at, on paper and I believe he was under a 9-10 save percentage in the with the U.S. development program last year, which with a team as talented as they were in front of him and from all the games that I saw, they were not a team that was really uh, privy to giving a lot of high danger chances against. They were a really, really talented team who really pushed pushed games, you know, with offense. Um, 
And when your goaltender isn't stopping a tremendous amount of pucks, that raises a red flag to me. I think 13, you know, certainly I think he is a guy that you take a swing on in the first round. I think you can't quite rank goaltenders the same way you rank skaters. Uh, You know, it's kind of a situation where you go, okay, we like the goalie at this pick. Uh, And at 13, looking at who was on the board, I, I can't, I wouldn't have advocated for taking that risk. Uh, you know, yes, someone like Cole Caulfield certainly is a risk due to his size, obviously. Per, to me, he's not nearly as big of a risk just because of his size as it is that Spencer Knight maybe didn't stop as many pucks as I would have liked him to. Um, you know, that's like saying, oh, Cole Caulfield only scored 30 goals uh, coming out of this season when he could have scored 70. Um, so maybe he'll hit that 70 ceiling down the line. Uh, it's like, well, no he came out and did actually score 70 goals. Like he did that and has the measured level of success where Spencer Knight had a great under 18 for sure. But one thing that kind of pushed me more away from him was when they played Russia and it was Spencer Knight versus Yaroslav Askarov. And I watched Askarov and look, that's a, that's a guy who multiple seasons, uh, similar to like an Andre Vasilevsky, multiple seasons of track record where he's stopping a lot of pucks, playing a lot of games, you know, and and internationally also doing very, very well. So I look at Askarov, I saw him stop in that game at least four or five cross-ice prime 1A scoring chances from, from the U.S., uh, whereas the Russians didn't really get the chance to test Spencer Knight as much, but certainly Spencer Knight was very rock-solid, which is very nice to see in a young goaltender. He's just rock-solid, brings a mature approach to the game, but at 13, yeah, that's risky. I mean, if I was around maybe... The 20s, I would have thought, started thinking about it in the 20s range at the very least uh, after guys like Tomasino and McMichael went off the board. Convincing me to pass on a Ryan Suzuki, let's say, if I'm Calgary, to take a Spencer Knight might have been a tough sell. Uh, but he was a guy that that I think I would have at least had on my board relatively high after after 20-ish. Uh, so we'll see, though. I mean, goalies are weird, so... So, you know, ask me again in yeah. five years. Yeah, and to, and to give some, um, and uh, I guess a floor, if you will. So I, I have up here the U.S. U18 team. I've got um, historically drafted goalies, and their save percentage is sorted. Obviously, just a save percentage stat. You need more to use that as like a, a real factor in deciding how good a goalie is. But um, at least from the top, you see. Um, a guy named Brandon Maxwell, who 10 years ago led with 13 games, 925 save percentage. But then you've got John Gibson at 921, Joseph Wall at 918, Jack Campbell at 913, um, Brad Phillips, who didn't ever make it, Spencer Knight at 913, and then you've got Demko at 911, and Ottinger just below that. So to give an idea, to give a perspective, that's sort of where he's at right now. That's a pretty good group to be in. Um, but you know, John Gibson had the 921 and more games played. So take it for what it is. He's going to be, he's a very good goalie prospect, probably top five right now, but you know, that's, that's an upward, upward battle to be a goalie prospect. It's very difficult to make the league. So. Yep. Certainly. I mean, it's a, it's again, it all comes back to risk and, uh, you know, John Gibson was a second round pick, um, as far yep. as I'm, as far yep. as I remember, I yep. believe he was. So, you know, I've just seen so many goaltenders go in the first round and just turn into nothing. And you know, 
so many goaltenders hyped as first round guys that just turn into nothing, you know? So it, it's just a, maybe I'm just biased. Maybe this guy is everything that he's cracked up to be. Uh, certainly I understand the the things written about him, uh, you know, as just in terms of his personality and all that. I get it. Um, I certainly see the value in that. But I want goaltenders who stop a lot of pucks. And there were some goalies who went in this year's draft who stop a tremendous amount of pucks. Everyone was writing about the Dustin Wolf during the summer showcase. And Dustin Wolf was a seventh round draft pick who stops a tremendous amount of hockey pucks in the WHL. And, you know, that's a guy who I liked Calgary's approach to the draft as a whole this year. I thought they had a pretty good one. And in the seventh round, they probably just said, let's just take the kid who everyone says is too small, but stops a lot of pucks and see what happens with him and put some faith behind him. Uh, and I think that that's a pretty decent bet. It's certainly to me a relatively safer bet. Uh, we'll see. I mean, I think size does affect a goaltender's performance, especially with how fast the NHL game is. Uh, you know, size can make all the difference. This is a game of inches, and the difference between a six foot goaltender and a six foot four goaltender could be the difference between a goal and a pivotal situation, or you know, over time, a few a few goals, which could be a benefit or a, or a detriment. So. It's it's a questionable thing. I, I also find that a lot of goaltenders who play in the NHL, you can wait and, you know, they don't even end up drafted. Uh, plenty of goaltenders have become free agents that you just sign out of the Finnish Liga. Um, someone like Vaini Vevalainen, who's coming over to North America this year. He was, a, he was a draft pick eventually, but he was undrafted three times. And again, it goes back to the size thing, but he's a two-time Finland's de- uh, top goaltender of the year, I believe, in the Liga. So I would not be surprised to see him become a goaltender for the Columbus Blue Jackets, maybe not this year, but in the in the near future, mostly because of just how uh, just how talented he's been at every single level over multiple seasons. And he's a guy who the Columbus Blue Jackets just said, let's try this guy. And, you know, who knows what will happen. So there's multiple different strategies you can employ with goaltenders that I personally believe are more reliable than using a 13th overall pick passing on some of the names that were available and also signing Sergei Bobrovsky for seven years. Uh, you know, all these things are kind of a strange soup of decisions, but we'll, we'll see where it takes them. But yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's a fair way to put it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So I guess some of the other surprises in the first round, and then we'll move a little bit into the second round and then maybe just overall steals. Um, I was surprised before I had watched him in person, but Lassie Thompson went 19. Um, I was originally very surprised. Um, I see the toolkit and I went to the, you know, the summer showcase and he looked really good. Very sound skater. Um, Doesn't overly risk anything when he has the puck. He's very calm, um, but he, he looks very good. Um, I, I've got to see him produce in, um, in the Liga now, but um, I like him a lot more at 19 than I did before. Sure. I, I didn't like the, the Thompson pick. Again, when you look at who was available, I think, you know, someone like a Vili Hainala, who I really, really like, he's, he's got work to do, I think, but I think the ceiling on Hainala is really nice. Uh, but... Uh, with Lassie Thompson, so the thing I've been saying about him all year when I watch him is he really reminds me of Evan Bouchard, but like not as good. Uh, you know, certainly can shoot from the point. He shoots it a ton. And and 
nice, calm puck mover. Uh, I think Evan Bouchard's speed is underrated. I think his ability to move pucks up the ice is underrated. I don't think Lassie Thompson is quite on the same level there. He's got a good shot from the point. But the thing that kind of trips me up about him and the Ottawa Senators draft as a whole, I believe the Ottawa Senators only drafted one player who was born in 2001. Uh, now, that doesn't mean any everything, but Lassie Thompson is one of the oldest players available for the first time in the draft. I believe he's a couple of days away from being eligible in 2018. So you kind of expected him to be a really premier WHL defenseman to be a first round pick in the NHL because he's almost a set, he's almost a D plus one this year. Um, he's in that weird gray area. I mean, when I scale for age, he still does have the numbers that portray him as a first round pick, but I really didn't think that he was a better player this year or at least have the same ceiling as someone like a Ryan Suzuki uh, or someone like a Philip Tomasino or a Connor McMichael uh, or even a guy like Vili Hainala or Sam Poulin, Tobias Bjornfoot. Uh, all these guys kind of showed a lot more in terms of a wide variety of their game. I I, I agree with you though. Like there are tools with Lotsie Thompson that are really nice. Uh, it's just a combination of how he produced uh, the team on which he played with, you know, and and just the fact that when the game starts getting faster and faster, like this year will be very interesting. Like you said, you hope for big things with him in the Liga. I do too. I, I think he, this is going to be a big year for him because I thought maybe one more year in the WHL with Kelowna would have, you know, helped. Maybe he could start moving pucks more, start involving himself with assists more than just shooting pucks on net. Um and so I think this is going to be a big test for him because the Liga is quite a big jump in terms of level of play and just the overall style of play because the ice is bigger than than the WHL is. So we'll see how he adjusts. I think the Ottawa Senators, they got a good defensive player for sure. Like they got a good offensive defenseman um, who does have underrated two-way play. But looking at who was on the board, I I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's questionable at 19. Again, that's a player where if you can't trade down to get him, then maybe you let someone else take the risk and add picks. But looking at Ottawa's retrospectively, it, they didn't seem very open to the idea of trading down in this draft uh, very much. In fact, they traded up. So... Uh, I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a big. He's a big question mark. Yep. If anything, and you can make the argument that he wasn't even the best offensive defenseman on the board. I think Ryan Johnson at thirty one is a really good pick. Um, I was skeptical before, but watching him again in person, up close, in real time, he was very very impressive. Very very poised with the puck. I would say more poised than Thompson. Um, he's he's extremely creative. I would say he's he's similar similarly. Th- uh, thinking the game like Zegras. Um, he's very, very slippery. And if you want a guy to run your power play, Ryan Johnson would be a fantastic choice. Sure. I, I found him at his best at even strength, which is really yeah. promising. I mean, I watched a lot of Ryan Johnson this year and really slippery. Like you said, like that's his best asset to me is just how, how good his hands are for a defenseman. You know, he can... He's a great, uh, you know, I've been telling people who ask about him, you know, because they look at his production and go, oh, the Buffalo Sabres screwed up. It's, no, no, he, they didn't. I, I think at 31, he's a perfectly fine pick. I mean, personally, I look at guys like Arthur Calliev and Bobby Brink being available at 31 and passing on them to take Ryan Johnson. You know, I get it. If you want a defenseman, he's not, he, at the time, certainly not the worst choice. I, I definitely, definitely saw him perfectly reasonable if you wanted a defenseman at 31 as one of the best choices, if not the best. Uh, 
the thing I've been telling people who ask who are concerned are he's a pressure release valve. You know, if he gets the puck in the defensive end, he knows exactly usually how to slow things down, get the game turned the other way, going in the right direction and moved up the ice, whether it's on his own stick or moving it to a, to a line mate. I mean, he was very, very good at that. Sometimes uh, he could hold onto the puck a little too long, get a little too fancy. Uh, when things don't go his way, he can make bad decisions and take penalties and, you know, get a little bit uh, aggressive where you wouldn't want him to be aggressive. I saw him do a few different things that I, if I'm a coach, I go, you might want to not do that. Um, but, at the end of the day, the talent is tremendous. And I think that, yes, his offensive production overall was not ideal, but he primarily produced at even strength, which for defensemen is promising. Um, and certainly as that pressure release valve type player, he, he did an extremely good job doing that. And I think that's certainly a player that at 31, if he becomes a second pair guy who is just a good two-way minutes-eating guy, kind of like that Moritz Sider type expectation at 31. That's a perfectly reasonable player to land and, you know, might not be that top pair guy, but I think he's certainly got all the tools to play yeah, in the NHL. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? He was a rookie in the USHL. The, the, the league he played in before was the U16 league. We tore that up. So that that's another reason where, you know, oh, he's a first-round pick, he should be lighting up whatever league he's in. But listen, guys, he was a rookie. This was his first go at, like, some semi-pro, you know, hockey. And he did not sink. He was very, very good. He looked he looked um, like he was supposed to be there at the World Junior Showcase. Granted, you know, it's still just the summer showcase, but there's a bunch of really high-end, talented guys in that tournament. And he, he looked like one of the leaders. So um, he's definitely promising. And at 31, I would absolutely take that that player there. Yep. I agree. I agree. I wasn't really surprised, uh, especially considering it was Buffalo. Um, definitely, definitely high on that pick higher than most. I would think, even though there were players, like I said, that I just think at their best could be premier NHL talent. Um, but you would need to hope a lot more on them. Whereas with Ryan Johnson, I think there's a much easier package to mold and work with, uh, and, and turn into something pretty useful in the NHL. So I understand the line of thinking, um, and, and it definitely wasn't yep. a bad and one. And what he does best, you can't really teach. So you can always build on what he's yeah. got. You can always make him a better defender, but you can't teach somebody to be, like you said, the pressure valve. You just can't. So very good choice there. Yeah. yeah. It's hard. Mm -hmm. Certainly hard. Well, that, that ended the first round. Uh, I, overall, I really was surprised like I, it was really fascinating this year last year was kind of surprising because teams were just jumping at centers and defensemen this year I don't know what teams were jumping at especially towards the end of the first round but I mean I spoke to a few scouts a few people who would know what's going on and they really felt that between 20 and 50 this year anything could happen it, it was really just you know a lot of different guys who had a lot of different skills that all kind of project differently and could go down different trajectories and you know teams kind of looked at players in isolation I think and just kind of made bets like a guy teams made bets on guys who have flashes you know guys like Braden Tracy um, Nolan Foote even is a huge bet but he does have flashes of talent and he does have things that he does very, very well. Uh, Jakob Peltier, a guy who often was ranked in the first round and went right around where he was ranked. You know, all these guys have 
stuff about them that's certainly high level and it's worth betting on. It's just the whole package. There were some guys that that I think have higher level upside that just started to slip and ended up in the end of the first round or even into the second round. And yeah, up until I'm just looking at my list, like up until about the beginning of the third round, it was completely, completely mm-hmm. bonkers. Yep, I agree. Um, some guys that um, I was I was questioning why they fell and then I watched them in person again and I know that the eye test only gives you so much, but I can understand now why Kaliev and Brink both fell to the early second. Um, as much of a statistical darling both of these guys are, um, foot speed is one of the biggest reasons why players just don't make the NHL. Um, and both of those guys need to heavily work on that. Um, I thought that Kaliev had a little bit better of a tournament than Brink did this, this past week. Um, I think Brink was very, very, um, bystander like in my opinion. Um, obviously he's a very, very good player and he, and he has, upper level intelligence and he makes it players on his team better when he's on the ice. But, um, you know, you're not going to see him flying down the ice like you would John Beecher. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why he fell a little bit. Um, so if, if the Philly flyers can, can get Brink onto the ice and get into some skating coaching clinics and really work on that, you've got a surefire NHL there, but if he can't, get his foot, his foot speed up. I don't think he'll ever make it personally. The thing that, the thing that, the, the, the thing that reassures me about Bobby Brink, uh, I guess there's a couple of things, but one is a year ago he was a nobody, uh, you know, really not on anyone's board. And when he was hurt and away from Sioux city, uh, the team was trash. They just turned into an offensive black hole. I mean, guys like Martin Pospisil and uh, Marcus Kelly and Kelly, their production halved, I think, if from what I remember. Um, and Bobby Brink, you know, yeah, I agree. That's been the big knock on him. And when I made my profile of him, that was my impression as well of him. You know, uh, his foot speed was not great. I mean, that being said, I think his foot speed in terms of after his first three or four strides, that's where it needs to come away. I think he needs to put the time in in the gym, get that conditioning up and, and get moving because his first few his first few moves, uh, his first few strides, you know, when he's his turning agility, he can really do that really nicely. I think he has all the tools. His mentality is very, very aggressive. He's never too far away from the puck. He plays with a lot of intensity. He's not really floating from what I've seen of him. Uh, you know, he can sometimes float, but when he gets involved, he gets extremely involved. So again, with a lot of these guys, you need to capture what you see when they're at their best. And, do that night in and night out. And those are the guys who really get there. And I think that, yes, the skating needs to come a ways. He needs to get into some sort of power skating program. Um, You know, someone said uh, after I was pretty thrilled about Philadelphia taking him at 34, someone said there was another guy who had a ton of offensive upside that Philadelphia took who couldn't really skate when he was drafted and he turned into Claude Giroux. And that turned out okay. So I don't think it's the biggest concern out there, especially when you look at who goes before him. But you you hit the nail on the head with John Beecher, though. I think, again, player people were kind of making fun of that pick, but you, those people I don't think have seen John Beecher play a tremendous amount. That guy can fly for a guy who's that big. And, you know, if you wanted a center at 30 for Boston, I'm looking at the list now. Like the other centers on the list, 
I take I I look at John I like I look at John Beecher as almost a coin flip with guys like Jamison Rees. Um, Robert Mastro Simone is a guy who went in the second round. I had him ranked fifty fourth, and he went fifty fourth. I was cooler on him than most, but I think. I might have just caught him on off nights when I saw Chicago play because I watched him at the Red Wings development camp and I was, before he got hurt, thrilled with what I was looking at from him. He's just so shifty, so nifty in the offensive zone, great playmaker. You know, I found him really, really exciting and I'm curious to see how he does once he gets healthy again. Uh, but John Beecher at 30, that guy can fly. He was primarily used in a relatively limited role for most of the season, but there were flashes where... For a big guy like that, I was really surprised. So you're right. There are tangible things with Beecher that certainly might push him up a draft board higher than a Bobby Brink or an Arthur Kaliev. Um, but again, there's other stuff where I feel like Kaliev and Brink and you know even guys like Raphael Lavoie, when those guys are available in the early second round, that's a perfectly, perfectly fair bet because if you capture their play at their best, you've got some pretty useful hockey players there. Even uh, Niels Hoaglander was a guy at 40 who I couldn't believe was available at 40. And, you know, he has he has different uh, issues with his game. I, I think there are other issues. It's not so much his skating. It's not so much, you know, his intensity or anything. I think his defensive play needs some work. Uh, but his hands are absolutely ludicrous. His scoring ability is great. So I think that's a good bet to make at 40. But yeah, I mean, there are certainly tangible assets that teams look at that say, okay, this player can do what's really hard in the NHL and the other stuff you can work on. And you sort of go from there. Whereas the other stuff is, okay, this player is incredibly talented now, but they need to do quite a bit of work with a few other things mentally and physically that that will need to come a ways before they hit the NHL. But if they do, then they could be really spectacular. So it's a different kind of yeah. bet to make, I suppose. Yeah. Um, some other guys too that I think, um, you know, there there's question marks and also some players that were really nice to see was um, I think Fagamo f fell maybe a little bit, but um, I guess when you, when you just take a step back, I think that's a fine pick where he's at um, an overager who succeeded really well. Um, but then, uh, you know, watching him in person, he, he looked like a leader. And granted, he was probably one of the oldest players at this tournament this week, but he fit in perfectly. And um, I liked what I saw from him. Um, another guy I also liked was Carl Henriksen for the Rangers. He looked really good. Obviously, when you plan a line with two top five picks next year, you're going to look good. But he 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 held his own and then some. Um, and and Matt Robertson looks good. Um, I, I think Nick Robertson as well. He was. Um, a little bit after him, but he, he looked really good too. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, that range before 60, uh, like you said, Carl Henriksen at 58, you know, the Rangers were a team that uh, one of my favorite drafts for uh, across the whole league was the Rangers this year. I thought they did great. Uh, Fogamo was a guy who I had ranked the early second round. So to get him at 50, you know, or actually I had him at 31. So technically a first round pick. So getting it, getting him at 50 for LA after Kaliev and Turcotte is also gross. Um, and Matt Robertson, he's a guy who on paper, uh, I, I think I was cooler on him uh, during the year because I knew going into the year, I really liked him uh, before the season started. So all those summer tournaments that I saw him play in, I really liked the skill that he brought to the defense position. But during the year, uh, his metrics were fine. Uh, nothing stuck out particularly incredibly. So I always was kind of cooler on him because I thought, okay, this guy doesn't have a ton that really pushes him to the forefront when I think about 
2019 draft prospects. But then as the year went on, I had more time to sort of leave the data and go back and watch with my eyes. And there's a tremendous amount of upside with, with Matt Robertson. I thought at 49, that's a great pick. Uh, you know, there's a ton, there's a ton of upside with him and just to, to, to hear that he's doing well in the summer after being drafted. I think I'm, I'm not particularly surprised. Uh, Nick Robertson was a guy who had 53, I think is a steal. He was my 23rd ranked player. Um, extremely young. He, he doesn't turn, uh, he doesn't turn 19, uh, until uh, September 11th. Well, he's so, 17 now. you know, he's, he's, he's got a ways to go. Or sorry, yeah, yeah sorry, it doesn't turn 18, young. right. Uh, math's hard, yes. Uh, so that's really promising. I, I think that for a guy like that, he was remarkably consistent all year long in terms of production. Um, I've heard that someone told me during the draft that his, he has had concussion problems, but I had that clarified by someone uh, saying that, no, that's more down the, that's behind him and he's kind of fine he had wrist issues this year which kind of limited his offensive ability for a while he rushed himself back from a wrist injury because you know hockey uh so that kind of limited him a little bit but he seems to be fine he's been checked out um you know the concern with him that i was told and it's legit is you know he can play too hard and get himself hurt or you know play too intense and and put himself in a in a position to you know injure himself that's something you can kind of work on him with. And I'm sure that Mike Babcock is the type of person who will love the attitude he brings to the game, the approach that he brings, the intensity. Uh, you know, he seems to quote unquote play the right way. So I think refining that into saying, okay, yes, you're playing well, you're, you're playing hard, but you know, you might want to cool it a little bit so you don't blow out a shoulder or blow, you know, get yourself a concussion. Those things, can be coached and worked on. And I think as Peterborough gets better, he's going to be a premier Absolutely. part of that yeah, team. And, and the fact that he's so young, it helps. He'll, he, he'll be at the the top of the curve for, you know, he, he'll be at the world junior twenties. He might get two years there, you know? So um, it'll be really nice to see him some, to, and you know what his skating stride, he gets around quick. I hate watching him play. I think he's really, he wastes a lot of energy, but you know what? He also flies. So if you can, if you can reel that in, he, he does remind me of just like a, a different version of Johnny Goudreau. He just, the way he plays is just like, he just flies. He's got a great, um, you know, energizer bunny in him. And that's a really good quality to have. And not every player has that and skill. So, um, so I think there is definitely a couple of steals in the third round, in my opinion. Um, I'll name off just a couple of them, and then um, you can kind of touch touch on some of these guys. So uh, Eric Portillo, the goalie to the Sabres, was a steal. Zach Jones to the Rangers was an absolute steal. Um, I, I believe Ronnie Adder to the Flyers was really awesome. Uh, Pui Stola to the Hurricanes just after that. Um, uh, in my opinion, Bucage to the Avs was nice. And then obviously... Dorofiev, Honka, uh, and Nikolaev were, in my opinion, pretty big steals, and even Kakinen. So, a lot of good guys. Yep. So there's a f there's a few. Yeah. The first three rounds of this draft, teams made out really nicely. I mean, I might cheat a little bit. Uh, Jordan Spence at 95 is also one that yeah. just was gross. I don't. 100%. I can't believe that guy fell all the way through. Um, but but you know, look, Anthony Honka. I've always been a believer in Anthony Honka's raw ability. Uh, I said a few times after the season that I think he has had a few of these sort of epiphany moments in his, you know, with his decision making. Like his decision making at some points have been literally so bad that it cost his team the season. 
And I think that a young player like that playing against men in a situation where you literally cost your team a championship, uh, you can sort of ask yourself a big question of, you know, what can I, what do I need to change about my game? Because I'm not going to be in the NHL ever if I make decisions like that multiple times in a season, let alone in a, in a championship game. Um, and he seems after watching a bit of his play at the, at the showcase that I caught, uh, he looks like he's got that talent back. He has a bit of swagger to his game. The big thing with him is going to be, you know, can he, can he play competently defensively, uh, in terms of with his body and, and grinding games down to give guy, give a coach, say, uh, enough trust to play him in situations where he can show that swagger, that offensive talent. Uh, I think Carolina is going to be a great spot for him, though. They're going to have tons of defensemen who can, you know, they can be patient with. Uh, they picked Dominic Fensori, who's one of my just clear, just personal favorites from the whole draft. I thought he was really undervalued, even though he's very small. Uh, Maxim Chaikovic going to Tampa Bay as well. You know, you could have convinced me that if you wanted to take a big swing on someone that was ranked pretty low, maybe instead of Nolan Foote, if Nolan Foote were the 89th overall pick and Maxim Chaikovic was their first round pick where Nolan Foote went, uh, I would have thought, hey, you know, uh, I would have thought, you know, uh, um, whoops, lost my train of thought. Uh, I would have thought, that would have been a perfectly reasonable order for those players to be picked in, but that's not how it worked. So yeah, I thought the third round was certainly full of interesting picks. I mean, there's, there's tons of them. Like you said, Alex Bokaj, Pavel Dorofiev is a, is a good pick in the third round, right around where I thought he reasonably would have been picked, even though I had him as a early second rounder. Uh, Patrick Puistola is another great one. Like you said, Zach Jones, again, another one of these guys who I think has a ton of upside. Albin Gruve is a guy who also for Detroit, I really, really like that pick. So I'm, yep. I'm really, really There's so really many thrilled. good players that were in the third round this year. I'm very surprised that a lot of these guys fell. Um, you know, you could, obviously this isn't going to happen, but you could reasonably make the argument that there's going to be a couple of more um, um, high-end players in the third round than in the second. I think the second, there was a lot of safe picks made. Um, and then in the third, I feel like everybody just wanted to take a, a high flyer on, on guys and, um, a bunch of really good goalies went there. Um, so yeah, overall the third round was super, super fun to watch. Um, a lot of the guys that the, the media and, and all the Twitter peeps and everybody likes so much, a lot of those guys went there. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see, um, who the high end guys will be out of that third round. Cause usually in a draft there's, um, you know, two to three to four guys that end up making the NHL who are very prominent. So it'll be nice to see who. Um, all right. So I guess, I guess of the names that haven't really been mentioned, um, who are some guys that stuck out that were real late or just third and beyond that, that shouldn't have gone there or, you know, all that. Um, well, so one pick that I absolutely loved. So there's two actually almost back to back. So at 104, Columbus took Eric Yorth, uh, who only played, I believe, seven games all year, um, you know, but certainly scored quite a bit uh, for a defenseman. So for that to be Columbus's first pick uh, of the draft at 104 was kind of hilarious to me. I really enjoyed that they took the risk on him. Uh, but then two picks later, Florida took Carter Berger. And that's a guy who I had ranked in my top three rounds. 
Um, I caught him while I was tracking uh, tracking Alex Newhook, and and you know I really like Alex Campbell as well. I think he's a decent bet uh, for Nashville where they took him. But Carter Berger, I mean, he's a bit older for his draft class. He's almost a, a double overager this year. But what an, he's an unbelievably talented, uh, dazzling defender. I really have high hopes for him uh, as he goes to college and develops there. I think he could be an interesting player for Florida. I mean, he was he has an absolute cannon from the point. His skating is great. Uh you know, he's really aggressive. He's got great skill. You know, I, I think his defensive play needs work. He was making some pretty bad decisions. I think he took, he needs to put more mustard on his passes from time to time. Sometimes he can just, you know, lay a, you know, just lay a softy out in the neutral zone so that it can come the other way. And that's just not ideal, but the talent is there. And I think that for a fourth round pick for Florida, I, I loved that pick. Uh, just looking through some of these other ones, I, I liked the swing that Calgary took on Lucas Fook. I don't know if it was the best selection. Uh, one of the guys that went later at 130 to the Rangers, uh, Levy Altonen. I love Levy Altonen. He really reminds me of a Kasperi Kapanen type of profile where there's tons and tons and tons of speed, tons of skill. Um, but the part that you wish he would do more is just use that to be more aggressive. Uh, he was doing a lot of entering the zone and shooting it from the, you know, from a low danger area just to get that shot on net, which, you know, it's a decent approach to the game, but you really want him to flex that speed and that skill, get to the net, you know, make a play there because I, you know, I didn't, I didn't see enough of that to be really, you know, to be a real high on him, but I did have him as a second round player. Uh, just to list off the last few that I'm looking at in front of me here, Ethan Keppen at 122 to Vancouver. I think that's a nice high floor pick. I think he could very reasonably be an NHL player. Uh, he brings the right attitude. He plays the right way. He produces on a terrible team. So, you know, over the, over time, I think he could develop into a really useful bottom six player, high energy player. Rhett Pitlick to Montreal is another great pick that I loved. You know, tons of skill. I'm not surprised he went before his teammate, Mike Kester. Uh, Rhett Pitlick just tr brings tremendous danger to the game. He always finds open areas. He's always hard on pucks. He's making plays, shooting pucks. You know, he just brings a really nice profile that I think is going to work out really nicely for Montreal over time. Um, and looking really late, I mean, leave it up to the Tampa Bay Lightning to take a huge swing on a meme guy from Russia. I mean, it's worked for them before, but Mikhail Shaligan uh, at 198, I didn't have him ranked, uh, but that's mostly because whenever I watched him play, I thought, look, this kid has an unbelievable shot, but he's t almost 20 years old. Uh, he turns 20 in September. He's playing against men, uh, or not playing against men. He's playing against junior age players in Russia uh, in the more difficult conference, but, you know, he's six foot four, really wiry frame, great shot, uh, but, you know, the skating is okay. The defensive play is not great, but, you know, as a guy who's usually used as a winger, that's kind of forgivable. Uh, his passing isn't fantastic, but it's not, you know, it's just not as good as his shot, but his goal scoring ability is legit. And I heard rumors that are out there that he could jump straight to the AHL this year, which personally, not the worst decision. They've done that before with guys like Alex Volkov in the past, who it worked out pretty well for him. He's an interesting AHL player now. So Shalgin, look, if he can come straight to North America, play pro, you know, play reliable minutes in a good program with Syracuse, and he wants to do that and put in the work, then that could be an interesting pick for Tampa Bay. And of all of the picks in the draft, that's the one where after it was made, I might have laughed the hardest just because, I mean, 
just of how many goals that guy scored. It was almost a goal per game, if not more. So that's, yeah, it was more. So that's certainly promising. And a lot of them were at even strength. And I believe of 10 of, let's say 10 goals that Spartak scored this year, he had points on, I believe he had a goal, uh, I believe 35% of the time. And that's pretty wild. So outside of the MHL, when I caught him, though, he wasn't great. He kind of looked like he got lost in the shuffle a bit. Uh, you know, he kind of lets the game develop around him. Once he gets the puck, though, it's in the back of the net quite a lot. So I'm curious to see how he does. But yeah, that, that's probably a, a short, short list of notable guys later yep. on that yep. I, I, guess that I found interesting. Naming off a Russian who had a a great um, over-age-ish year. Um, I would say another interesting name would be, well, literally interesting name, but the, the skill set that he has behind him. Um, the Wings drafted Kirill uh, Tutayev. I'll never know how to say that name, but um, the year before he went to the MHL, he played in the Russia U18 League, which although it's not all that impressive, it still is in its own right. He played 31 games and scored a whopping 114 points. Granted, this you know it's the U eighteen Russia League. It's it is what it is, but that's still very impressive nonetheless. Um, so I think seeing another um, older guy playing in the MHL, it could be interesting to see which one of these late Russians makes it. Um, I would say uh, Shaligan's one of them who could uh, very well make it. Um, Tutayev. There's a couple of other guys, um, but it's always it's always fun to see which Russian get taken late like this yeah yeah for sure there yeah and i mean half of the local yaroslavl team it felt like they got drafted uh i watched a lot of that team play eh, i mean they're they were a good team but i i really didn't know what a lot of these guys what they saw in a lot of these players uh maxim Dineshkin looked interesting uh for the edmonton oilers but i mean i'm just gonna pull them up i mean they had it felt like half their team got drafted if i'm not if I'm not mistaken, like they had, yeah, one, two, three. So they had five guys drafted. Felt like half for some reason. Uh, local Yaroslavl. I believe there's five. Uh, Nikolaev, Mizul, Darian, Bichkov, and Dinezhkin. Um Daniel Gutik went undrafted. I'm kind of surprised at that. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I with Daniel Gutik, I saw him uh, quite a few times. There were games where he was great and then games where he just did not show up. And I think teams get scared off by that. Um, I think he's a player that teams will have their eye on over the course of the next season. You know, that's the great part about not getting drafted, I guess you could say, is it's basically all 31 teams can keep an eye on you. And if they like your development, then they can either earn an ELC at, at the summer camps or uh, be drafted next year. You know, it's not over. So for guys like Christian Tonis, who I really thought was going to get drafted, um, you know, Billy Constantino, there are reasons he didn't get drafted that I've been told. Uh, but these guys, it's not over. You know, you go back, Wojtek Strondala was another undrafted player who I was surprised at. Austin Swankler. Um, Joseph Gareffa is a guy who now you can get on an ELC, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you know, these are all guys that I thought would have been good bets late in the draft. But again, if you're undrafted, it's not the end of the world. And there's plenty of guys... Uh, where, you know, it's perfectly reasonable that we could be yep, hearing their absolutely. names going next season. Um, so what are the, I think just before we, we end to go to the transactions, I know we've been already ranting for an hour, but um, I just found um, a 21-year-old who's going to be 22 um, in February, Arsen Kismu Dininov, yeah, from another reactor, Nizhny, 
Either way, old dude getting drafted, playing in the MHL, but he had five points in nine games in the KHL. So that's something to look at. Um, Obviously, he's 21 turning 22, so you would hope that he did something in the KHL. So that will be an interesting name. Uh, he He got drafted in the sixth round by Montreal. Yep, I've I went back and because after I made my recap video for Montreal, uh, he's a player that I kind of <laughs> threw my hands up and went. I, I honestly don't know what the line of thinking is. You know, usually you don't see triple overagers in the MHL yep. turn into anything, um, but he's certainly very big. And so I felt it was kind of my I'd be I'd be selling myself short after I put that video out uh, if I didn't go check out some stuff from him last season on the YouTube on YouTube where the MHL streams all their games. Uh, I still kind of throw my hands up after watching him. You know, he's big. Um, you know, I didn't really find his skating particularly great. He's got a lot of power to his skating. You know, he's got a power forward style of game from what I've seen. You know, he can be pretty shifty, but again, uh, he just seemed like he was just out muscling guys younger than him. The KHL production, that's great. Certainly small sample size and it's, you know, fine. Um, yeah, I think I think his play in the KHL was pretty promising. I just looked at his MHL stuff. I I watched I didn't watch full games, but I tried to track some shifts of his. Like he's a good good MHL player, but considering his age, yeah, I, I don't know. I I felt like he was a player that if he was, you know, again, you don't know what other teams are thinking. Um, but he's a player. I mean, you look at the player that went one pick after him is Luca Burzan, who I always really found really interesting, and I think Colorado could have gotten a great player there. Uh, at 172, Nikita Nestorenko, a guy who I completely didn't have on my on my radar, but that's only because my data on his school was in, incomplete. But when it got backfilled, he looks spectacular. Like for a prep school player, he had points on half of their goals and he was scoring a tremendous amount of their goals. And I mean, that's about as good as bet as you can make, especially considering he's also a guy who I believe was born in September. So... You know, this is this is a night. Nice, yeah, so this is these are good long term bets. Whereas Kizamutinov, I think Montreal values big athletic players, and he certainly shows that on the ice. I just don't know. I mean, it, it, you would hope that he becomes a very good KHL player by the time he's twenty two. Um, whereas all his track record has really shown me is that he's a very capable power forward in the MHL who yeah. has had good flashes in the KHL. So we'll see where it takes him, but you know. I mean, it's 170, though. You can't complain right. too I mean, much yeah, about every, the guys every going Every guy in after the mid-six is just a flyer. But it's definitely interesting to see who, yeah, who got picked basically. and who didn't. So an interesting draft. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, overall, yes, very interesting. I think there was great value. We'll see some guys pop out later in the draft, and we'll go, how did this not... Yep. How did this guy not get drafted yep. earlier? How did this happen? How did this happen? And, you know, that happens a lot, but I feel like this year might yep. happen quite a bit more sure. than usual. Okay, yep. so let's swing over to the pro side of things and go over sort of free agency. Oh, boy. Um, everything, really. Yes. Um, what? Yeah. Uh, who was the best signing of free agency? All things considered, value, <laughs> cap hit, age, you know, everything. Well, oh, man, I mean, the Rangers landing Artemi Panarin, that is, that's a, oh, I mean, that's a heck of a contract uh, to hand over uh, to a player of his age. But man, I mean, if you're going to hand a contract over to a player 
like that. I mean, Artemi Panarin is not the worst one. I have, I absolutely love Artemi Panarin and I, you know, he's one of the most exciting players for me to watch in the entire league. Uh, everyone's talking about Timo Meyer as a really great value contract, which I agree with. I think Timo Meyer has come a tremendous, to, you know, a tremendous way with his game. Um, you know, over the last couple of years, he's really morphed into a great sort of quasi power forward who has a lot of skill, a really, really dangerous player. I think Gustav Nyqvist in Columbus, you know, look, if you're paying less than half the price of Panarin, a guy who you used to have for a guy like Gustav Nyqvist, who was very good this year and has had a good track record, that's a, that's a decent bet. And it's not a terrible contract for a team with a ton of cap space. So I think, Jarmo Kekalainen, considering everything that happened to his team, that's a decent bet. Uh, and if I had to pick another one just from July 1st, I mean, I'm, I'm scrolling through the list here and a lot of it is just kind of guys. Um, yeah, a lot of depth guys. And, you know, it feels like a lot of high level guys kind of, they, they waited to make their final decisions. You know, I really like the Robin Lehner pickup in Chicago. It's good insurance against Corey Crawford's health, and you never know what Colin D'Elia is going to be. Um, beyond that, uh, the Sebastian Ajo offer sheet was a joke. I mean, I don't know how that, I don't know what Carolina, I don't know what Carolina or Sebastian Ajo's agent, you know, was really waiting for. I mean, that's a deal that is a bargain to me for, for Carolina long-term. I mean, there are some downsides to it. The fact that he will be a UFA pretty soon, relatively uh, sooner than you might want would have wanted. Uh, that's a negative, but again, you're getting one of the, to me, one of the most promising young centers in the game at eight and a half million for the next five years yeah. on a team that has tons of cap space. So that, that's a I pretty think, good I pickup think as well. I just wanted um, uh, Ajo to have a yeah. $20 million um, checking account in the next 18 months. I think that might've been yeah. something to do with yeah. it, but for sure, maybe he was also like, you know what? I don't, yep. I don't want my, my client to, um, come training camp, still be, be sweating and, and, and le- bring that entire negative mentality that comes with signing an RFA through the beginning of the season. I mean, that, that can absolutely, um, hurt a player's view of their team. Um, so I think all things considered, um, it's it's not a, a terrible deal for Sebastian. Um, I think in five years you, you hit UFA and you get paid even more. So the five year thing, I like I like the five years. I think you're sacrificing a little bit of the cap it, but if it's you know if it's only seven hundred k that you're sacrificing per season, you can easily make that up in UFA in five years versus having to wait that additional three years that usually comes with such a franchise player an eight year deal. So that was an interesting play for sure. Not sure what Montreal was thinking other than maybe that they would, they would kerfuffle the Carolina owner so much with that front loaded contract that he wouldn't accept it. But I mean, you find a way like you, you invest in Bitcoin. If, if you are really that worried about getting that money. (laughs) Yes, I agree. Look, he's a, I think a lot of people also quite didn't quite understand exactly how, you know, if you are a multi-billionaire in the in in any country, how much banks would be willing to give you some kind of funding to help cover that? Like, you know, he Tom Dundon, I think, is a bit of a cowboy businessman, but that's not a 
you know, necessarily a bad thing. I think it's just unusual to see someone like him as a sports owner. I think he's trying to be that Mark Cuban type of, of owner who's really involved and, and wants to be in the nitty gritty and, and maybe not making decisions, but just kind of involved. Um, and when someone like Sebastian Ajo gets offer sheeted for something like that, you know, the, uh, the options are either, I believe the compensation was a first, second and third. And if Tom Dundon and Don Waddell are sitting at the table going like, well, we should find a way to come up with the money to pay this guy his uh, signing bonus. Then Tom Dundon gets on the phone with some banks who trust him. He could probably have that money pretty quick and he can make it work. And I think the Carolina Hurricanes... Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I think with the Carolina Hurricanes this year, they're not going to be any worse, I think, than they were last year. Uh, just looking at their depth chart now, I mean, they, they, look pretty, they look pretty good. I mean, a full year with Nino Niederreiter... Adding Ryan Dezingle is a good, solid middle six add. They have tons of prospects who who could push uh, push themselves up for a job. Guys like Jake Bean, great in the AHL last year. Uh, you know that they signed a few guys who just under the radar could be good. You know, good moves for them. The goaltending is going to be a question mark with Peter Morazic and James Reimer. I don't know how that's going to work, but I guess we'll find out. And Nedeljkovic, yeah. So. We'll see. That's a big question mark. But if that can be at least competent, uh, I think I think that'll be a very very surprising pickup or a very surprising team to keep an eye on. Um, but yeah, like a people were talking about this is going before July first. But you know, Eric Carlson signing before July first. Okay, you know, like that. <laughs> That's a bet, I guess you could say, for San Jose. I mean, that's a team that I think is trying to keep their window open, and that's a dangerous, dangerous game a lot of the time. But then then again, they turned around and got um, Kevin LeBanc to sign for a million for one year, which, right on. Um, but beyond that, you know, I don't know. What, what, did, do you feel any differently about any unrestricted um, free agency signings from this summer? I'm not not very... I'm, I'm not sure why Minnesota signed Zuccarello. Um, if I'm being completely honest, I mean, if you really just needed to dip your toe in free agency, that's not the worst you can do. Zuccarello's, you know, he's a second line winger who can bring you 50 points ish. Um, you know, for majority of that contract, he'll play out the value. Um, but if you're rebuilding, maybe they grabbed him so that they could flip him somehow for a Victor Rask or something. I don't know. So... Yeah, uh, yeah. See, the thing is that's weird. Like, I don't know if you read. I don't know oh, if I you did. read that Michael Russo uh, uh, article. Yeah, why? Why they with with so much turmoil in the organization? Why they would sign off? You know, why they would bring uh, their general manager? Why they would bring Fenton past July first and then get rid of him after he signs Ryan Hartman? After he signs Matt Zuccarello, especially. Uh, you know, they signed off on that deal. Those yep. they signed off on those deals to, to bring fair, those guys I like, in. I like the Ryan Hartman deal, but if they fair. had a guy, sure, yeah, yeah it's a. De- I mean, it's, right. if it doesn't work right. out, it's two years, one point nine. It's not the end of the world. But like they, that's still that's still almost four million dollars. You're signing off on a guy that your your general manager, who no yeah. one seems to like, uh, is 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 bringing on board. And if he gets fired anyway soon after, I mean, yeah. that's that's. I don't know how to feel about that. I mean, they did. Go out. I think the Ryan Donato ad has been good, and they did get him on a good sort of show me bridge contract at one point nine. So that's 
nice. Uh, I really, really like Brad Hunt as a hockey player. I've been gunning for him to get a long-term full-time shot for years. Uh, and him signing for two years at League Min there, I think that's a nice show-me kind of situation where you go, okay, you're going to you know, you, you put up or shut up for your NHL career. And I think he could be per dollar, really good value on the back end, at least offensively. I've always really liked him. Um, but again, it's, it's kind of perplexing. Like you said, that, that they would go out and get a Matt Zuccarello who for his age, yeah, he might, he might play out that full contract and be valuable. I don't know. Like he's had some injury issues recently. He's already 31. You know, this is a team that in 2022 is going to have $15 million tied up in Parise and Suter, $6 million in Dumba, $6 million in Zuccarello, you know, and both of their goal, all both of their goaltenders are free agents before that season. And you lose Jared Spurgeon to UFA after this year, Jonas Brodeen next season, uh, Greg Paterin next season, you know, Miko Koivu. No, not great. And they have no picks. They have fewer... Like in the next three years of looking at their calf friendly, they haven't added a single draft pick in the next three years. So, and if you're and if you're going to rebuild this team, which I think they're kind of overdue, and I think they're more overdue now that they've added a guy like Matt Zuccarello on that kind of a deal. Um, this is going to be a year that's a tipping point to me. Um, they're going to know pretty quick. I mean, they still have to sign Kevin Fiala and Joel Eriksson Ek. Um, those are big bet guys that you hope turn it into something really special. I like Kevin Fiala. I think Joel Eriksson needs to start showing that he's an NHL player. Um, and, but again, if they start to think about burning this thing to the ground, who do you trade and what do you get back? I mean, Eric Stahl could fetch you something. Does, does Marcus Foligno get you anything? Does Victor Rask, who has three years left, Miko Koivu could be a good rental, but that's a player with a no movement clause. So if he doesn't want to go anywhere, then he doesn't have to, uh, you know, Jared Spurgeon, same thing. Uh, although I believe he has a trade list. Yes. So he has a 10 team list that he can't accept a trade that he won't accept a trade to. But if you need to sell Jared Spurgeon, then maybe that's a thing you do, but there's not a lot of pieces here that I think reasonably would fetch you a lot. Um, Suter and Parise probably don't want to get traded. I mean, those are guys who signed in Minnesota for a reason and they're, you know, they're there till kingdom come. So, We'll see. I'm skeptical. um, I really liked William Carlson signing at 5.9. I think that's a very good dollar amount for what he is on the team. Um, I think think 5.9, if he's playing on another team, I, I first of all, don't even think he becomes who he is now. Um, But for what he brings and the minutes he, he eats and, you know, the marketing value he brings, I think 5.9 is a great number for him. Um, I think uh, I liked Dezingle on a two-year. I liked it for him, and I also liked it for the Canes. I think that's a really good deal. Um, I think he he brings almost the same value as Zuccarello if I, in, in my head. So at a cheaper dollar and year, that's, that's a great deal. Um, I was not a fan of Tyler Myers, but with all things considering, I think he was at six mil, right? That's, you know, hopefully he can... He can sit on that second line for four years and put up 30 points and some time on the power play and some time on the PK, play 20 minutes a night, teach Quinn Hughes how to not be a jackass. I think like you can salvage it if you're the Canucks. You're going to have a lot of money coming off the books soonish. Um, but, you know, not not a big fan of that considering some of the other options available. Yeah, 
Not huge. Yeah. Uh, Low-key low guys who I liked at their numbers were uh, really interested in what uh, Scott Lawton can do at 2.3. I always really liked kind of how he plays, just a bottom six dependable center at 2.3 million for the next couple of years. That's good cost control. Arturi Lekkonen at 2.4 with Joel Armia at 2.6. You know, both of those guys for 5 million total for the next two years. That's that's a no-brainer. Uh, Robbie Fabry, uh, I think he's got a real show-me contract at 900K, but he certainly has the talent to, to be very, very valuable per dollar. Um, beyond that, I mean, you know, the the Jacob Truba deal was huge. Um, that, that was, you know, I mean, it's Jacob Truba, but I mean, he's going to, I think, to earn that, that money with guys, you know, they added $20 million in salary with two guys and Panarin, you know, better earn that money and Jacob and Jacob Truba might really need to maybe take a bit of a step to, to earn that as well. I mean, when you compare like, yes, getting 20th overall and Neil Pionk for Jacob Truba is tough. That's a tough return for a good player, but you get Neil Pionk at 3 million. I mean, the term is shorter, but less than half the money is Neil Pionk less than half the player that Jacob Truba is. I, you know, is he less than half the player? I don't know. It depends who you ask, but that's not a terrible change. And when you add Vili Hainala to that, you know, if things go right for him, that might look a little bit better in terms of a per dollar investment. Um, beyond that, I thought Sam Bennett at 2.5 for a bridge. That's a decent bet on him. I mean, he's got to show consistent NHL talent, I think. I think that, but that, that to me is a decent bet. Really liked Evan Rodriguez. I've always liked him a lot. You know, he's come a long way with his game for a free agent signing at a college uh, for one year, two million. That's that's nice. Um, the big one that recently was signed was Andre Vasilevsky, and that's an interesting discussion I've had with quite a few people on both sides. And I think I don't think anyone is wrong when they analyze that deal, whether it's good or bad. I think it's both. Um, my angle is that you know. It's a tremendous amount to pay, but the guy is a is on a is on a two time streak of being nominated for a Vesna, and yes, that certainly might be inflated because of the team he plays behind. But he faces a lot of shots and saves a lot of pucks. And if you don't like, what's the alternative? You know, the question I was always asking to people was, "What's your alternative if you are Tampa Bay? Do you?" You know, do you you know you just saw Sergei Bobrovsky at 30 years old get a seven-year deal for 10 million a year? So down the road, right? Like that this this is Andre Vasilevsky's agent can probably just point to that and go, this guy's seven years older, you know, hasn't won a Vesna since he was Vasilevsky's age. You know, do you want to invest in a guy who you have tangible success with success with? Or what? Right. Are you gonna trade him and play Curtis McElhaney and rely on Connor Ingram? I don't know. Uh, no, that, that, yeah. oh, right. Yeah. They traded him for nothing because yep, of yep. reason. There are reasons, but like they traded him. There's not much there. Like, no. do you trade Vasilevsky no for a young goaltender? Like what leverage no do you have? And, and you, add, you, know, you have to ask yourself if, no. if all goalies in the NHL have no contract and you're going to pick one goalie to drive your franchise moving forward, you're the, you're the next Vegas golden Knights and you can take any goalie and you can sign him. Who do you take at 9.5? There's probably three goalies that you would list off at 9.5, and Vasilevsky is probably the first or second name that you say. Yeah, Carey Price maybe is up there, but exactly. pound for pound and looking at their age, yeah, that that to me is the is the one. Vasilevsky, if he has another year where, like, let's say he has a year this year where he's a 9.25 goals goal goaltender 
in save percentage, and on top of that, uh, gets nominated for his third Vesna in a row. Like not not that he would win it, but his third nomination in a row. You know, if he was a UFA next summer and he does have a season like that, what is he then? An eleven million dollar goaltender, eleven point five for a for you know what I mean? Like that that to me, you know. And then what's the alternative? Again, when it comes to trading him, for example. You, you're dumping a player who wants an expensive contract onto a team that knows you're dumping him because you're afraid of paying him. So your leverage goes out the window. Like if you trade Andre Vasilevsky to say Ottawa, you're not going to get very much from Ottawa because Ottawa is just going to look at it and go, yeah, we have the cap space. So of course you want to send, yeah, so of course you want to send us him. So we're going to pay you less than market value because you're just afraid of paying the player because you have too many expensive contracts. Um, if I'm Tampa... I mean, it's it's dicey to say the least when you look at who they've got and how many no trade clauses there are on that team. I'm looking at it now. I mean, and reasonably speaking, like who's going to go anywhere? Stamkos? Probably not. And he has a no movement clause. Andre Palat? I don't know what you would get for Andre Palat, but maybe you could convince a team to take him. Yanni Gourd is signed forever. Uh, but, he, you know, these are all decent players. Uh, at the very least, they're, you know, they're good. Um but when it comes time to sign Anthony Sorelli, when it comes time to time to sign Matthew Joseph, I mean, Braden Braden Point needs a contract. I mean, the only player I'm looking at that doesn't have a no trade or no move clause is Nikita Kucherov. And no, you're not. But if push comes to shove and you need that nine and a half million dollars against the cap, and you and you don't have much in the way of prospects or anything, I mean, you have two first round picks next season, if not in 2021. But if you wanted to rebuild on the fly, I mean, if any team is going to have the talent to replace, quote unquote, a Hart Trophy winner like Nikita Kucherov, and that's a player who at 9.5, you would still have leverage in a trade. And he has nothing where he can say, don't trade me. Then maybe you think about it and say, we need the cap space really badly, but you know, there's a lot of value in the player. And I think a lot of teams would line up to, to negotiate on that because other than that, you're trying to convince players to waive no trade clauses. And yeah, it's, uh, I don't know about that. I feel that. like it was a, um, um, a necessary evil that they had to do. I think they're going to be perfectly fine. They just broke history with the team that they have and they're going to keep all of their core. The, the Ryan Callahan's gone. That's awesome for them. I think the biggest challenge will be getting Braden Point signed, and they would obviously love for him to sign for a long time, but they don't have the cap to do that anymore. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, so correct, exactly. That's one point seven five. That's a very very valuable contract for Shattenkirk, nonetheless, in a vacuum. But but that one point seven five million should have gone to Braden Point. I think they have an amazing um, group of D coming up that they could easily replace whoever with like they, their top four is going to be, you know, well now it's good with Shattenkirk, but before it was like Hedman, um, Sergachev, Cernok, McDonough, like that's a great top four on any winning team. So Mm -hmm. obviously adding Shattenkirk's a really nice add, but now you've just made, you've just made the negotiations with Braden Point even more difficult. So they have to have an idea going forward. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. They also have two RFAs. Point oh and Ernie, and they are at forty nine contracts. So how they manage that? Well, that, well if that they qualify, to me means wait, that there's that something that it, coming. Though, I mean, that since they it, qualified him, I think their their contracts technically count against that. Oh, is that? If I, that's the case, perhaps I guess so. The, but the, I don't know. I'd have to re, I'd have to look back yeah. into it. Um, but any, in any case, uh, I mean, 
the one that jumps out to me, like I said, they've got two first round picks next year. Look, maybe a team out there with cap space wants a Tyler Johnson. Maybe Tyler Johnson is willing to waive that no trade clause. Maybe you package Tampa's first round pick with Tyler Johnson for bupkis and just dump the cap. Um, you know, I think it's manageable. I think if there's any team out there that's going to work around it, you know, again, the the big thing is going to be, can you get the guys to waive their no trade clauses? Can you get uh, uh, an Alex Kalorn to accept trade somewhere where he's going to actually play um, for the next God four years? Uh, because, Tampa is going to need to move money. It's just it just needs to happen. And you know, Sergachev could have a big year. I think last year was a bit of a down year for him. Um, but if he has a big year, he's going to need a contract. I mean, he will need one anyway. But he might need a very serious contract if he does have that big season that he could have. Anthony Sorelli has been very promising. So who knows what he's at in a year from now? I mean, they're going to need to start planning this out. And I mean, they must have a plan in place. I mean, if they were Betting on Vasilevsky early on, that's great. Uh, if they're betting on Kucherov, that's great. But at some point, push is going to have yeah. to come to shove, and, and something's yeah, going to have think, to. Um, well, I guess you, you got Matt change, Joseph right? next year. You got Sorelli next year, right? I think so. Right now, according to Cap Friendly, if they bury Condon and Deming, that's fourteen hundred or one point four million. So now they have, according to Cap Friendly, nine point three seven six dollars of cap space. I think that's enough to sign point. I, I really do. I think considering Sebastian Ajo's offer sheet, um, considering some of the, so the other RFA contracts that have signed that aren't a lot, there's, you know, um, Timo Meyer. Um, I guess you could technically count Kerfoot. Um, the value, I, th- I think they can squeeze him under 9.3, just a little. Um, and I think if they bury Jan Ruda's contract, 1.3, that's like what, 300,000 left, something like that. Yeah, so I think they could fit him in long-term. I think it's probably going to be a five-year deal if they, can, if they can get him to not bridge. I don't think he goes for anything more than five just because the value of his contract will be more than nine points, whatever that would be, six, 9.6. So there... Let's let's first say this though that they are in a good position or they're it, it's not a bad position to be in <laughs> like like to have to sell off good players because you have more good players no. to sign. No, so certainly not. They will figure it out. Yeah, and I think and I think they're a team where that dressing room is going to be very interesting. Uh, I mean, how they rebound. You know, this is a year where they're kind of the everybody made fun of them for for what happened in the playoffs. I think that's a you know, they were an extremely talented hockey team. And I think that like similar to the discussion about Anthony Honka, they might've had that epiphany moment where they go, okay, that happened. Now we need to make sure that that not only doesn't happen again, but we make sure that we finish the job that we started last year. Like they could be coming in, you know, with a completely different outlook when it comes to the playoffs and, you know, red, just ready to go. And they might be a team where no one, no one thinks they're going to win the Stanley cup because of what happened last year. And then they come in and do it. And even if they end up with say second or third or fourth seed in the East, if they have to shave some, some salary off the top with some talented players and they end up winning maybe 50 games instead of 60, uh, then you still could have a situation where they do just consistently play very, very well and end up going very, very far in the playoffs because they have the talent, uh, they they certainly showed it last year. It all collapsed at the worst possible time, but at the end of the day, 
you know, I, I, I certainly won't count yeah, them out at looking absolutely. at how the NHL has been uh, in the we'll last few years. We'll go over to years. another uh, Russian-based argument. Um, Nikita Gusev had to get moved, so he gets moved for a second and a third. Um, I really like the Devils right now. They're looking really smart. They're making they're making NHL 19 moves right now, and it's it's paying off. Um, I'm glad that they, they have decided to spend um, towards the cap. And um, they're going to be a new fresh team on the on the uh, horizon, and I, I really like their top six now. Uh, much more stable. Um, it allows some of these bottom six guys to be swapped out for the younger guys and give them tries instead of using the Blake Coleman's on your second line because you have to. So they look they look good now. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree. I think they had. One of the better off seasons, um, you know, and when you look at their salary situation, it's probably one of the best in the league, to be a, a totally honest. Um, you know, you have three years of Corey Schneider. Personally, I mean, I have a hard time believing that just Corey Schneider is just straight up broken forever. Uh, Mackenzie Blackwood is a decent bet. I think he's shown really well uh, in the NHL. Um, landing P.K. Subban. I mean, if P.K. Subban was a UFA this summer and someone signed him for three years at $9 million a year, that's a fantastic deal. And they got him for basically nothing. I mean, they have tons of prospects and they removed maybe one good one in, in Jeremy Davies and, and a couple of picks that, you know, Nashville used well. But, you know, looking at how New Jersey drafted, maybe this year I wasn't super high on their draft crop as overall. But, you know, Jesper Boakfist, uh, Ty Smith, both of those guys look great. Um, they, they have a number of players who who could sort of push push other players out of an NHL job. I mean, and then you look at their NHL group, you know, Taylor Hall is a UFA after this year, but I'm pretty sure he's going to be pretty convinced to stick around uh, playing with guys like Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer. Um, Travis Zajac, there's only two years left on that deal. They got Wayne Simmons for one year, so if it doesn't work, they cut him loose at the end of the year, no big deal. Kyle Palmieri is one of the most underrated players in the league. Um, you know, Jesper Bratt could be really special you know Pavel Zaka is a decent bottom six center who can sort of hold his own and there's potential for more there uh, beyond that Andy Green one more year Sammy Votten in one more year but that's a guy who you might want to think about keeping um, you know Will Butcher is on a pretty good deal all things considered especially for a power play defenseman you know under four million not bad uh, and and again you've got Jack Hughes and these are going to be some really interesting years for them and everyone's sort of thinking maybe Nikita Gusev isn't everything he's cracked up to be because of what it costs to, to get him. Uh, I see no indication as to why he yeah. would not a, be at the very a second least line forward. Legit, I, I think like that's at least legit his minimum, NHL if player. I'm being I mean, completely transparent. Yeah. 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 Perfectly, just a fantastic offensive player. Uh, you know, at the Olympics, that was kind of his coming out party for everyone sort of in public. I've had my eye on him since he was draft eligible. You know, when when there was those years with him and Kucherov playing on the same line with Mikhail Grigorenko at the IIHF tournaments, those guys were always, always lights out. And, you know, even Grigorenko, who kind of went nowhere, but there are reasons for that as well. Um, but Nikita Gusev has always consistently just gotten better and better and better and better. And now that he's finally in the NHL for, for a couple of years, I think he's going to really impress uh, New Jersey fans and I think the league as a whole. I mean, I think he's too old to be eligible for a Calder Trophy, but I would not be surprised to see him come into the NHL and, and certainly not look out of place. And the New Jersey Devils, if they can make, if they can keep that defense group solid and, and you know, 
really work with them and do well with them. I think Ty Smith could push for an NHL job. He almost earned one last year. Then they could take a big step forward this summer or this season. So uh, they're a team that I'm definitely, definitely psyched to check out. With the top uh, six of Taylor Hall, Jack Hughes, um, Paul Mary on one line, and then you got Gusev, Heischer, um, and, you know, you know, Jesper Bratt or something. And then you've got a, a top four core for the future. And now of, of PK Subban, Damon Severson, Will Butcher, and either Ty Smith slash Vatanen. That's a really fun core. That's a really good core. They've got a lot of pretty decent prospects coming. They had Michael McLeod, who's starting to, to lean towards bust. But I mean, if he comes in and plays as a really good three C like perfect, um, they've, they've got a really fun group coming. It's mm-hmm. they've, they really have changed it a lot, uh, through this off season. Yeah. Yeah. This is kind of like when, you know, it's, it's just this summer, they've put a lot of chips on the table and I respect that a lot. I, I really do. I think, you know, they're looking at who they're, who they're paying, you know, like it, it's going to be a push comes to shove year, right? Really. And I think that's what the moves kind of indicate, you know, they've been rebuilding. Yes, but they've been rebuilding as well with really talented players on really good deals like Taylor Hall. Um, you know, and now that that contract is expiring, I think if I'm Taylor Hall, I'm looking for a reason to stick with the Devils. And the Devils went out, brought in P.K. Subban. They brought in Jack Hughes. You know, Nico Heischer's getting better. You know, they're giving him reasons to stay. They got Nikita Gusev. And the idea of all these guys playing on the same team is pretty exciting. And if it yep. works, absolutely, uh, I think the Devils are set uh, so for, let's for quite a while. let's close it out with um, the, the hockey fan favorite Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, we'll talk about that that banger of a trade who I really like. I really liked Kerfoot signing four years, three, five. Um, Barry on a retained salary deal, so he's cheap. Um, he will obviously ask for the world next season, but I don't think they need to worry about that right now. I think they need to worry about getting under the cap and getting Marner signed and pushing for a cup because with this core now, I think they've uh, drastically improved, assuming that Marner signs. Um and I really like, I just really like their core. They're like, they're in win now, win now mode, but they're also super young and signed forever. So they can do anything with that decor. They, they, everybody is going to be re-signed after this year. Like everybody except for Morgan Riley. Literally not one D is not signed after this. So yeah. they can do whatever they want with it. Yep. <laughs> yes. Uh, that is, yeah. I think, I think people are sounding fire alarms uh, kind of for silly reasons with, with the Toronto Maple Leafs after this summer. Um, their defense is going to be a problem again, but it, like, don't lose sight of the fact that all those concerns people were yelling and screaming about all year, all of those concerns, they still were a very good team during the regular season overall. They went to the playoffs against a team that went to the Stanley Cup final and really should have beaten them. That was a series where I really thought the Toronto Maple Leafs kept the Boston Bruins on their toes almost in every single game. Uh, you know, it was that was a hard, hard fought series and they had a chance to close it out and they didn't. So I think, again, going back to that epiphany moment, I think that's another one for another team where Toronto looks at that and goes, okay, this is where it's either put up or shut up. And yes, some of that might have been chalked up to the coaching and the decision in terms of who's being used and where. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the players are the ones that win the games. And yes, having Zach Hyman on one knee out with whatever two minutes left in the game on a penalty kill uh, or on a power play. I don't remember. It's it's. I'm trying to put that out of my mind as much as I can. Um, but, you know, those decisions 
sure, that puts you at a disadvantage, but the talent is there. They're ready to go. Um, the Mitch Marner thing, that'll get sorted out one way or the other. I, I've kind of given up on thinking about it and, and analyzing it and all that crap because it just doesn't go anywhere. Um, but when you look at this team's guts, I think William Nylander, after a summer, is going to bounce back in a pretty big way. I think to the point where the 6.9 for the next five years is going to be uh, maybe not a, a, a bargain, but certainly worth the investment. Um, Alex Kerfoot, I don't know if he's going to be that third line center, but even if he isn't, you know, is Jason Spezza a capable third line center in the NHL for one year at 700,000 a year? If you keep him in sheltered minutes, sure. But if you really want to just lean really heavily on Austin Matthews and John Tavares, you could also do that. And it might be that moment where they finally start to really play those two guys a lot and really ride them for, for game after game. Uh, but again, load management is something that kind of people need to think a bit about when it comes to that as well. You don't want to overplay your guys to the point where they get hurt or uh, run out of steam at game 70 and have a bad playoff or anything like that. But I think Toronto's strength and conditioning team and their sports science team, you know, it's worth putting trust in them to know what they're doing. Uh, beyond that, the Johnson and Kapanen signings, I thought they were great. Uh, good RFA value. I think Kapanen has potential to be a very big steal at 3.2. Um, you know, I look at the guys they signed at League Min. Kenny Agostino was really good with the Devils last year. Uh, they ended up putting him on the first line from time to time and because of necessity. Uh, but I think he could be an interesting pickup in per, per dollar value. Uh, and beyond that, I mean, I've always really loved Trevor Moore. Uh, he's a guy who, who, ever since he was signed as a free agent, ever since he was an invite to, I believe, their development camp, uh, he's a guy that, that has stuck out to me. So... Like, the overall outlook, I, I think it's pretty promising. I mean, we'll see what happens with a guy like Jeremy Bracco at the beginning of this year, how he does in camp, how he does in preseason play. Um, I've always low-key really liked Dmitry Timoshov, but I'm not sure there's enough there for an NHL player. Um, Mason Marchman could be a serviceable fourth-line guy with some, you know, offensive potential, but he's already 24, so he's going to need to make that step if he's going to ever make it. And you look at their defense group with the Marlies, for this summer or for next season. You know, none of these guys were really brought in over the course of this summer, but Joey Duzak, Mac Hollowell, those two guys are going to be good ads. Timu Kivihalmi is, is an interesting uh, possession defender that came out of, out of Finland last year. Um, Jesper Lindgren is a guy who I've always really liked, and he took a big step last year as well. So there are interesting pieces for, for Toronto. I don't think it's the end of the world. You know, Michael Neuverth on a PTO, Look, I mean, it's perfectly reasonable to think he outplays Mike Hutchinson and they end up waving Hutchinson and signing Neuverth for a league minimum. And then you have Anderson Neuverth. And if they can hold their own in front of a defense group that probably leaves a little bit to be desired, that's pretty solid. I also, the last thing I'll, I'll say, and then you can close out, uh, the Cody Cece trade. Um, so to me, you're trading Nikita Zaitsev, who to me, was not worth the contract he's on, and you needed to drop it long-term to be perfectly reasonable. Uh, you get Cody Cece back, who has the same cap hit for one year, and that's all you needed to sign him to. It's a show-me deal. And one thing that kind of blew my mind is I looked at the list of players that Cody Cece has played with in his career, and and they're awful. Just below replacement-level defensemen all over the place. Just awful, awful pair mates. And he was thrown into the NHL at 19 years old. And... It went downhill so fast and it stayed in the gutter 
and he had nothing given to him that helped. He had to buoy Jared Cowan for, I believe, two seasons. And then when they were sick of Jared Cowan, they played him with Patrick Weirkoch, and it just did not work. And how much of that is on Cody CC? I don't know. But I think the formula is he was a young player brought into the NHL way too early, given way too big a role way too soon, really sort of just broke him to the point where he was just a below replacement level top pair guy. I just don't understand the mismanagement of him. And I don't understand the sort of thought that he was worth what they wanted for him in a trade. But, you know, in preseason, I will be very interested to see the top four of Riley, CeCe, Muzzin, Barry, uh, just insofar as what can Cody CeCe do playing with a very good top pair defenseman, you know, in a total reset for his career. Uh, what does Tyson Berry and Jake Muzzin get? You know, because if Cody Cece maybe isn't a top pair guy, but can be maybe a second pair serviceable two-way player with Toronto and they can kind of reboot his game and he's only 25, you don't have to sign him at more money than 4.5 million this summer. And it could be perfectly reasonable. They turn around and go, look, we want to try to keep you and we don't think you're going to get more than 4.5 on the open market. If you want to try, you can, but you can stick with Toronto. We'll sign you for a bit. You can be a serviceable player for our defense group at cheaper than 4.5 and they can work around that. Whereas with Nikita Zaitsev, that option just was not on the table. So Toronto spent a lot of money this summer to gain flexibility and that, that that cost them some stuff along the way, uh, but I certainly don't think that they're any worse than they were last year, and I'm one of the biggest Tyson Berry fans out there. So to land him for what they got him for, I mean, losing Nazem Kadri stinks for sure. Um, but getting Cody Cece and Tyson Berry, you know, if Cece can be serviceable and okay, and he wants to stick around in Toronto because it works, and they want to spend on Tyson Berry and just kind of figure it out and let Jake Muzzin walk perhaps, then you might see a defense core that could be something usable, at least until guys like Lil Jugrin and Sandin are 100% ready to go. Yep, absolutely. I think I think their decor is a lot better than what people are giving credit for. I mean, you've got Riley and Barry, who's a top, a top deep line, like as far as I'm concerned, and then a second line who's not even far off from that. Like CeCe Muzzin is a really good second line. I think CeCe has a lot more to give. And like you said, he got, he got fucked in Ottawa. So I don't think he will here. I think he'll be, I think he'll be perfect to be honest. And then you got a Dermot rotating out with Lilgren and Sandin for the future. And that's a sick top six. If you can keep everybody there on reasonable deals. Yeah. We'll see how it turns out. I mean, it's, I don't think it's going to be a disaster. Uh, again, like you, we mentioned it before talking about goalies, like who in the league would you look at at 9.5 million a year? And I think it's like Carey Price, Andre Vasilevsky and Freddie Anderson. I mean, Frederick Anderson is an extremely good goaltender and at $5 million, that's a bargain for what he gave to the Leafs. Without Anderson, I strongly don't think that the Leafs are as good as they were. And I think that's been their approach. You know, play with aggressive defensive play, uh, let your guys sort of fly, play that stretch pass transition game and let Freddie Anderson keep your team in it. And I think he's perfectly good at it. Um, that's also a player who after 2021 is going to be a free agent. So we'll circle back to see if he's able to be kept then. But uh, in any case, you know, I think he's a goaltender who's going to help them them long-term, even if their defense, you know, maybe gets shelled a little bit when that third pair is out, that, that bottom level pairing of maybe it's Justin Hall and Travis Dermott. I don't know. Uh, ben Harper, God forbid, is out there. I don't know, but... 
he's uh, he. It's perfectly reasonable to think this team is going to be just as much of a contender this year as they were last year. If anything, to me, they got better and mitigated what they lost pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Uh, so I think this kind of closes it off. We we talked about yep. pretty much all of it. Um, I'm sure we missed yeah. a little bit, but pretty much everything that was important. Um, so. With that, thanks for listening to us talk uh, for over an hour and a half. Um, (laughs) Hopefully you enjoyed it and um, you'll, you'll hear about us talking, uh, you know, when, when dev camp comes, Traverse city to camp for, for some of the NHL teams and preseason and all that. So thanks for listening guys. Um, Is there anything else? Will? Uh, No, that's all. Uh, I thank you very much for sticking with us for an hour and 45 minutes. We, I, I had a good time today. It's been a, it's been a nutty summer, I think, for for the league and the draft and everything. So to get it all wrapped up uh, before moving on to the Holinka and you know all the Dev Camp stuff, like you said, I'm hopefully going to make myself uh, available for the Leafs one, wherever that might be. Um, anyway, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for listening. Yep. Thanks, guys. See you in the next couple of weeks.